Section 13 of Stories from the Fairy Queen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Stories from the Fairy Queen by Mary MacLeod. How Britomart rescued a fair lady from a wicked enchanter. As soon as the strange procession had passed into the inner room, the door shut tight, driven by the same stormy blast with which it had first opened. Then the brave maiden, who all this while had remained hidden in shadow, came forth and went to the door to enter it, but found it fast locked. In vain she thought to open it by strength when charms had closed it, and finding force of no avail, she determined to use art, resolving not to leave that room till the next day when the same figures would again appear. At last the morning dawned, calling men to their daily work, and Britomart, fresh as the morning, came out from her hiding-place. All that day she spent in wandering and in gazing at the adornment of the chamber, till again the second evening spread her black cloak over everything. Then at midnight the brazen door flew open, and in went bold Britomart, as she had made up her mind to do, afraid neither of idle shows nor of false charms. As soon as she entered, she cast her eyes round to see what had become of all the persons she had seen in the outside room the night before, but, lo, they had all vanished. She saw no living mortal of that strange company, except the same hapless lady, whose two hands were bound fast, and who had an iron chain around her small waist, fastened to a brazen pillar by which she stood. In front of her sat the vile enchanter, drawing in blood strange characters of his art, to try to make her love him. But who could love the cause of all her trouble? He had already tried a thousand charms, but a thousand charms could not alter the lady's steadfast heart. As soon as the enchanter saw Britomart, he hastily overthrew his wicked books, not caring to lose his long labor, and drawing a knife out of his pocket ran fiercely at the lady thinking in his villainy to kill her. But Britomart, leaping lightly to him, withheld his wicked hand and overpowered him. Then, turning the weapon from the one whom he had first meant it, he struck at Britomart and wounded her. The hurt was slight, but it so enraged the maiden that she drew her sword and smote fiercely at the tyrant. He fell to the ground half dead, and the next stroke would have slain him, had not the lady who stood bound called to Britomart not to kill him. If she did so, the prisoner's pain would be without remedy, for no one but the enchanter who had put the spell on her could take it off again. Then Britomart unwillingly stayed her hand, for she grudged him his life, and longed to see him punished. Thou wicked man, she said to him, whose huge mischief and villainy merit death or worse than death, be sure that nothing shall save thee unless thou immediately restore the lady to health and to her former condition. This do and live or else thou shalt undoubtedly die. The enchanter, glad to live, for he had expected nothing but death, yielded willingly, and rising, began at once to look over the wicked book in order to reverse his charms. He read aloud many dreadful things, so that Britomart's heart was pierced with horror. But all the time he read, she held her sword high over him in case he tried to do further mischief. Presently the house began to quake and all the doors to rattle. Yet this did not dismay her, nor make her slacken her threatening hand. But with steadfast eye and stout courage she waited to see what would be the end. 
At last the mighty chain which was wound round the lady's waist fell down, and the great brazen pillar broke into small pieces. Gradually her look of terrible suffering passed, and she became restored to perfect health, as if she had never been ill. When she felt herself unbound, and quite well and strong, she threw herself at the feet of Britomart. "'Ah, noble knight,' she said, "'what recompense can a wretched lady, freed from her woeful state, yield you for your gracious deed? Your virtue shall bring its own reward, even immortal praise and glory, which I, your vassal, freed by your prowess, shall proclaim throughout the world.' But Britomart, lifting her from the ground, said, "'Gentle lady,' This, I ween, is reward enough for many more labors than I have done, that now I see you in safety, and that I have been the means of your deliverance. Henceforth, fair lady, take comfort, and put away remembrance of your late trouble. Know instead that your loving husband has endured no less grief for your sake. Amoret, for that was the lady's name, was much cheered to hear this mention of Sir Scudamore, for she loved him best of all living people. Then the noble champion laid her strong hand on the enchanter, who had treated Amoret so cruelly, and with the great chain with which he had formerly kept prisoner the hapless lady, she now bound himself, and led him away captive. Returning the way she came, Britomart was dismayed to find that the goodly rooms which she had lately seen so richly and royally adorned had utterly vanished, and all their glory had decayed. Descending to the perilous porch, she found also that the dreadful flames, which had formerly so cruelly scorched all those who tried to enter, were quenched like a burnt-out torch. It was now much easier to pass out than it had been to come in. The enchanter, who had framed this fraud to compel the love of the fair lady, was deeply vexed to see his work all wasted. And when Britomart arrived at the place where she had left Sir Scudamore and her own trusty squire, her old nurse, Glosset, she found neither of them there. At this she was sorely astonished, and above all, Amoret, who had looked forward to seeing her own dear knight, being deprived of this hope, was filled with fresh alarm. Sir Scudamore, poor man, had waited long in dread for Britomart's return, but not seeing her, nor any sign of her success, his expectation turned to despair, for he felt sure that the flames must have burnt her. Therefore he took counsel with her old squire, who mourned her loss no less deeply, and the two departed in search of further aid. What strange meetings befell on the way! Leaving the enchanter's castle behind them, Britomart and Amoret started in search of Sir Scudamore and Glosset. As they went, Amoret told Britomart the story of how she came into the power of wicked Busserain. On the very day of her marriage to Sir Scudamore, at the wedding feast, while all the guests were making merry, Buzerain found means to introduce the strange procession which had so amazed Britomart in the enchanted chamber. Amoret was persuaded in sport to join it, and was carried away quite unknown to any one. Seven months she had been kept in cruel imprisonment, because she would not consent to give up her own dear husband and become the wife of the wicked enchanter. Now at last she was free, and when she discovered that her deliverer was not after all a knight, but in reality a beautiful maiden like herself, her heart overflowed with love and gratitude, and she and Britomart speedily became the best and dearest friends. In the course of their journey they presently saw two knights in armor coming to meet them, each with what seemed at that distance a fair lady riding beside him. 
but ladies they were not, although in face and outward show they seemed so. Under a mask of beauty and graciousness they hid vile treachery and falsehood, which were not apparent to any but the wise and cautious. One was the false Duessa, who had formerly beguiled the Red Cross Knight and Sir Guion. She had changed her usual appearance, for she could put on as many different shapes as a chameleon can new colors. Her companion was, if possible, worse than herself. Her name was Ate, mother of strife, cause of all dissension both among private men and in public affairs of state. False Duessa, knowing that she was just the most fitting person to aid her in mischief, had summoned her from her dwelling under the earth, where she wasted her wretched days and nights in darkness. Her abode was close to the kingdom of evil, where plagues and harms abound to punish those who do wrong. It was a gloomy dell far underground, surrounded with thorns and briars, so that no one could easily get out. There were many ways to enter, but none by which to leave when one was once in, for it is harder to end discord than to begin it. All the broken walls inside were hung with the ragged memorials of past times, which showed the sad effects of strife. There were rent robes and broken scepters, sacred things ruined, shivered spears, and shields torn in twain, great cities ransacked and strong castles beaten down, nations led into captivity and huge armies slain. Relics of all these ruins remained in the house of Ate. All the famous wars in history found a record here, as well as the feuds and quarrels of private persons too many to mention. Such was the house inside. Outside the barren ground was full of poisonous weeds, which Strife herself had sown. They had grown great from small seeds, the seeds of evil words and wrangling deeds, which, when they come to ripeness, bring forth an infinite increase of trouble and contention, often ending in bloodshed and war. These horrible seeds also served Ate for bread, and she had been fed upon them from childhood, for she got her life from that which killed other people. She was born of a race of demons and brought up by the Furies. Strife was as ugly as she was wicked. She could speak nothing but falsehood, and she never heard aright. She could not even walk straight, but stumbled backwards and forwards. What one hand reached out to take, the other pushed away, or what one hand made, the other destroyed. Great riches which had taken many a day to collect, she often squandered rapidly, dismaying their possessors for all her study and thought was how she might overthrow the things done by concord. So far did her malice surpass her might that she tried to bring all the world's fair peace and harmony into confusion. Such was the odious creature that rode with Duessa. The two knights who escorted them, Blandamore and Paradel, were young and handsome, but both equally foolish, fickle, and false. When they saw Britomart and the lovely Lady Amoret approaching, Blandamore jestingly tried to make his companion attack Britomart, so that he might win Amoret for himself. But Paradel remembered how he had already fought with a knight bearing those arms and that shield, outside the castle of the Churl Malbecco, and he had no desire to provoke a new fight. "'Very well,' said Blandamore. "'I will challenge him myself,' and he rode straight at Britomart. But he had soon cause to repent his rashness for Britomart received his advance with so rude a welcome that he speedily left his saddle. Then she passed quietly on, leaving him on the ground, much hurt, an example of his own folly, and as sad now as he had formerly been merry, 
well warned to beware in future with whom he dared to interfere. Paradel ran to his aid and helped him to mount again, and they marched on their way. Blandemore trying as well as he could to hide the evil plight he was in. Before long they saw two other knights coming quickly to meet them, and Blandemore was enraged to see that one was Sir Scudamore, whom he hated mortally, both because of his worth, which made all men love him, and because he had won by right the Lady Amorette. Blandemore was greatly vexed that his bruises prevented his wreaking his old spite, and he immediately spoke thus to Paradel. Fair sir, let me beg of you in the name of friendship, that, as I lately ventured for you and got these wounds, which now keep me from battle, you will now repay me with a like good turn, and justify my cause on yonder night. Paradel willingly agreed, and sped at the stranger like a shaft from a bow, but Sir Scudamore was on his guard, and prepared himself to give him a fitting welcome. So furiously they met, that each hurled the other from his horse, like two billows driven by contrary tides, which meet together and rebound back with roaring rage, dashing on all sides and filling the sea with foam. So fell these two, in spite of all their pride. But Scudamore soon raised himself and upbraided his foe for lying there so long. Blandemore, seeing the fall of Paradel, taunted Sir Scudamore as a traitor, and heaped abuse on him saying that he only attacked knights who were too weak to defend themselves. Scudamore gave no answer to this, trying to restrain his indignation. But then Duessa and Ate both chimed in, wickedly doing all they could to rouse his passion. They spoke jeering words, and said they wondered Sir Scudamore should care to fight for any lady, for Amoret was faithless, and had forgotten him and gone off with another knight. This knight, we know, was in reality the Princess Britomart, but Sir Scudamore did not know this. He swore in a fearful rage to be revenged. He even threatened to kill the squire, Glousset, who was still with him, since Fy could not get hold of his master. In vain the poor old nurse tried to appease him, for she dared not disclose Britomart's secret. Three times Sir Scudamore lifted his hand to kill Glousset, and three times he drew it back, before at last he became a little pacified. How Sir Saturane Proclaimed a Great Tournament The fickle and quarrelsome couple, Blandemore and Paradel, having been defeated by Britomart and Sir Scudamore, next fell in with a party of two knights and two masked ladies. They sent their squire to find out who these were, and he brought back word that they were two doughty knights of dreaded name, Cambell and Triamond, and the two ladies were their wives, Cambina and Candace. All four were very famous people, and the dearest friends possible. They had had many wonderful adventures of their own, about which perhaps you will read some day. Blandemore, in his usual vainglorious spirit, would gladly have tested his strength against the knights, but he was still sore from the late unlucky fight with Britomart. However, he went up to them, and began to abuse and insult them, thinking in this way to will admiration from the ladies. Of course this enraged the two knights, who were both bent on punishing Blandemore for his base behavior. But Cambina, wife of Campbell, soothed them with her mild words, so for the present they were reconciled. The whole party rode on together, talking of daring deeds and strange adventures, and among other things, of the great tournament to which they were all then bound. This tournament had been set on foot by Sir Saturane, the same woodland knight who had formerly befriended Una and who had met Britomart at the castle of the churl Malbecco. 
Some time before, ranging abroad in search of adventure, he had come to the sea-coast, where he was horrified to find a vile monster, something like a hyena, feeding on the dead body of a milk-white palfrey. He knew the horse at once as the one on which Florimel was accustomed to ride, and, moreover, he found beside it her golden girdle. This girdle had fallen from her in flight, for Florimel had escaped in a small boat. But Sir Saturane did not know this. He thought she had been killed by the savage brute. Filled with fury, he fell on the creature. He was unable to slay it, for it was protected by the magic spells of its mistress, a wicked witch. But he led it away captive for the time, though it afterwards escaped. The golden girdle which Sir Saturane found he kept as a sacred treasure and wore for the sake of Florimel. But when she herself was lost and gone, many knights who also loved her dearly were jealous that Sir Saturane alone should wear the ornament of the lost lady, and began to bear much spite against him. Therefore to stop their envy he caused a solemn feast with public tourneying to be proclaimed, to which every knight was to bring his lady. She who was found fairest of them all was to have the golden girdle as a reward, and she was to bestow it on the stoutest knight. Now it happened after the flight of Florimel that the wicked witch from whom she had escaped made up another person to represent her in order to deceive people. This imitation maiden was most beautiful to see. The substance of which her body was made was purest snow frozen in mass, and mixed with virgin wax, tinted with vermilion. Her eyes shone like stars, her hair was yellow gold. Anyone who saw her would surely say it was Florimel herself, or even fairer than Florimel, if such a thing could be. But this false Florimel had a wicked and deceitful spirit full of fawning guile, and she excelled in all manner of wily cunning. In the course of her wandering, this creature, who was known by the name of the Snowy Lady, came across Braggadocio, whom you may remember as the cowardly boaster that stole Sir Gion's horse and armor. But as she rode along with Braggadocio, the latter was attacked and beaten by another knight, who thought the lady was the real Florimel. He, in turn, was vanquished by Blandimore, who also imagined that she was the true Florimel, and was very proud of himself for getting possession of such a paragon. Though he was so false himself, and had deceived hundreds of others, he was no match for the snowy lady in cunning, and was completely taken in by her. When Blandimore heard of the great tournament held by Sir Saturane in honour of Florimel's golden girdle, he immediately determined to go there and claim the prize on behalf of its rightful owner whom he then believed to be under his protection. Thus it came to pass that the false Florimel journeyed with Blandimore and the others to the tournament. Not long after Campbell and Triamon, with their wives Cambina and Candace, had joined the party, they saw a man in bright armour, with spear in rest, riding towards them as though he meant to attack them. Paradel immediately prepared his own weapons, whereupon the other slackened his pace and seemed to alter his intention as if he meant nothing but peace and pleasure now that he had fallen by chance into their fellowship. Seeing this, they greeted him civilly, and he rode on with them. This man was Braggadocio. When his eyes fell on the false Florimel, he remembered her as the lady who had been taken from him not long before. He therefore began to challenge her as his own prize, and threatened to seize her again by force. Blandimore treated his words with much disdain, saying, Sir Knight, since you claim this lady, you shall win her, as I have done, in fight. She shall be placed here, together with this hideous old hag, Ate, Strife, that whoso wins her may have her by right. 
but Ate shall go to the one that is beaten, and he shall always ride with her till he gets another lady. That offer pleased all the company, so the false Florimel was brought forward with Ate, at which everyone began to laugh merrily. But Bragadocio now tried to back out of his challenge. He said he never thought to imperil his person in fight for a hideous old creature like that. If they had sought to match the lady with another one equally fair and radiant, he would then have spent his life to justify his right. At this vain excuse they all began to smile, scorning his unmanly cowardice. The snowy lady reviled him loudly for refusing to venture battle for her sake, when it was offered in such knightly fashion, and Ate secretly taunted him with the shame of such contempt. But nothing did he care for friend or foe, for in the base mind dwells neither friendship nor enmity. But Campbell jestingly stopped them all, saying, Brave knights and ladies, certainly you do wrong to stir up strife when most we need rest, so that we may keep ourselves fresh and strong against the coming tournament, when every one who wishes to fight may fight his fill. Postpone your challenge till that day, and then it shall be tried, if you will, which one shall have Ate, and which one still hold the lady. They all agreed, and so, turning everything to sport and pleasantness, they passed merrily on their way, till at length, on the appointed day, they came to the place where the tournament was to be held. End of section 13